Hello. You are about to travel through the sixth dimension. In its fullness exists cinema entertainment that creates many forms, all while maintaining the same purpose, to tell and explore magnificent stories of the burden of existence. This is a dimension of imagination. Your hosts, Adam and Bailey, will do their best to guide you through vast perspectives in cinema that create new dimensions for all to admire. Welcome to AB Cinema. Hello, everyone. I'm Adam. And I'm Bailey. And this is AB Cinema. Today we're going to talk about the latest Marvel tentpole film to be released, Thor Love and Thunder. And uh, as we get into it, just a little bit of a preface, uh, 68% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's a little bit critically divided, a little lower on the audience scale. Um, Not only on Rotten Tomatoes, but in terms of my friends, it seems to be a little bit of a mixed bag as well. So Bailey and I, interestingly enough, also have differing opinions on this film. So it'll be interesting to see like what we like, what we don't like, and just see, you know, have this, you know, kind of not maybe not a debate, but just this difference in opinion um, about this movie, which uh, Bailey, let's let's get into you first. Give me your initial reaction to Thor Love and Thunder. I thought this film was very funny. I do feel like it was there was a lot of misdirection in the plot and extra storylines that weren't needed. And I feel like I enjoyed this movie for what it was. It was probably the wackiest MCU film that we've ever gotten, which is why I think a lot of people don't like it because Taika went full Taika on this film. Which, in the humor aspect, I thought I thought it was funny, but in the emotional beats of this film, I I was missing what I was wanting out of it. What did you think? What was your initial reaction? I think it was very okay, and to its credit, I think there's a better movie in here. But from what I got and how my expectations were set. I think it was just very all right. And, you know, so that's how I feel, you know. And uh, let's get into some some of the things that we really liked about this movie. Um, and we're going to try to stay a little bit spoiler-free for this first little bit. And then we'll just jump on in and really break it down. Um, what were some of the things that you really loved about this movie, Bailey? Um, I thought it was visually stunning, especially in the Shadow Realm. Um, which I, I guess I just kind of spoiled something. I don't know. Uh, the there was, I think it was visually entertaining. Um, it was very vibrant. Um, very vibrant MCU. And the there's this part in the movie where it kind of goes black and white, the Shadow Realm, which I guess I kind of spoiled that already. But um, I just really liked the way everything looked in that moment. Um, how it was very noir, um, but with little bits of color here and there, which I thought was really stunning to the eye. And so I thought it was one that that I feel like was one of the biggest standouts to me. The acting, everybody felt like they were just improving the whole time. Um, I I thought the humor. Sometimes the humor stuck with me. Sometimes it didn't. Um, I enjoyed the romance between Thor and Jane Foster. I thought that was great. 
Um, I actually really liked Zeus, uh, Russell Crowe's character. I thought he was really funny, even though childish, but he was funny. Those were were just a couple of the highlights that I enjoyed. What about you? I mean, you're absolutely right. I think that fight sequence is visually stunning. Um, I I am partial, so I won't spoil it here, but I loved one of the end credit scenes and uh, was kind of surprising, but, you know, I really liked it. Uh, I thought, you know, the music in this movie was pretty darn good. It felt a little leaning toward uh, Guns N' Roses, but I just really liked that whole, it was almost just like Ragnarok on steroids feeling. Like, okay, we're just going to get these these sick 80 guitar, you know, rock and roll songs. I loved that. Um, you got you can't talk about this movie. I feel like without mentioning Christian Bale as Gore, the God, how did I not mention that? I, I, I know, I know you shared the same feeling, so I wasn't mad at it. Um, but yeah, I think Christian Bale slayed, you know, literally and figuratively (laughs) could have slayed more, but, Yes, he he was yeah. great. Yeah, and and you know I don't know if this is spoiler territory, but you know there were some scenes that they cut out or that were a little bit too much for this movie, right? Like R rated. Yeah, like well, I mean, slight spoiler. We're at this point, we'll probably talk more about spoilers because you know when you see him initially, he has all those tattoos, and then when you see him later on, they're a little more uh, diced up because he is trying to just cut them out and cut them off of him. So. Apparently, Gore was supposed to be super dark, and they thought, yeah, we can't film that and show that in this Marvel movie. <laughs> hmm. I would have liked that, like, see a more twisted side of him, like, abandoning his religion. And yeah, that, that would have that would have made his storyline way more powerful because, like, like you said at the beginning, it felt like there were a lot of storylines that were missing really big parts. And I agree, and we'll, we'll talk about that and... But yeah, what what do you want to talk a little bit more about Gore? Yeah, I just I just think I liked him. I you know, he's like sometimes he's almost out of place because of how good and how scary Christian Bale is being. Like you're watching the movie and you know, full spo- full spoilers from here on out. But we're watching the movie and you have this scene where everybody's laughing and everybody's having fun. And then you cut to a scene where Christian Bale decapitates some serpent and then throws it around for the kids, you know, to juggle this serpent's head. And it's just like, dude, that is dark. And Christian Bale's just having fun. And he's he's putting into work here. Yeah, I, I forgot about that scene. But yeah, I, I'd say like... I loved Christian Bale's performance, but at times it felt very like he's just trying to mess with these kids. And I get, I understand that Gore's purpose was to destroy the gods, but why did he have to, like, I'm just kind of confused as to why he kidnapped the children. Like, I I get that he was trying to lure Asgard, uh, specifically Thor, but it just felt like a, a weird plot point because like he knew that that Thor would have gone after him uh, no matter what. And I, I don't know. 
just at times his his performance felt like he was trying to tap into Joker at times, which mm-hmm. I don't really think fits the character of Gore. Because I, I like I said, if we got more backstory, I would have probably been able to forgive some of the performance that I thought was a little odd. I did like the overall storyline of the character and what Christian Bale brought to that that whole arc. Well, I also thought the scene where he's, you know, where they're in the Shadow Realm and he's set up this trap and he's talking with Natalie Portman and um, Tessa Thompson. Valkyrie, Tessa Thompson, and Thor. Like, that scene is super good. And it's just, again, it's just Christian Bale, like, really, really doing work. He's just really, he's going as far as he can go, you know, in this, in this Marvel movie. And I think he's great. And that scene's probably another really good example of how well he does in this film. Yeah, I agree that that whole segment of him talking to the three of them was really, was really cool. I, I liked the parallels between Gore and, um, the mighty Thor, Jane Foster. I I thought that the the weapon killing them was an interesting storyline. And I I really enjoyed that. I, I thought it was just a really unique thing. This movie I, I just want to switch a little bit from gore. This movie's yeah. pacing was really fast. Yeah. And I don't know if you felt like that. No, but I like absolutely I did. felt like like, oh, he's going to eternity. Let's go fight him. He kidnapped the kids. Let's, you know, save the kids. The kids, or we can't talk to them. Like, I'm going to talk to Heimdall's son. And it just went beat to beat really, really fast, which I do not think was in favor of the, of, I, I think that's a big reason why a lot of people didn't like this movie is that it was just way too fast. It felt very jumbled and just like, oh, this kind of fits here. So let's just put this scene here. And I, I didn't really like that. You know, talking about kidnapping the kids, Gore the God Butcher, the trap in the Shadow Realm. Let's talk about that Shadow Realm fight, which I think is probably one of the more... Viscerally stunning. Yeah, viscerally stunning. But it's also just like so different than anything Marvel's done before. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. Like, like seeing it in the trailer was kind of like, I'm wondering how they're going to play this out. Because, like, we kind of saw, like, oh, everything's in black and white. And when the lightning's, mm-hmm. like, the lightning bolt, Zeus's lightning bolt hits the sword, like, it flashes color or something. I I thought, like, this is going to be really weird, and I hope they can pull it off. Because it's kind of, it's just very different. But I loved the fight scene. I thought it was one of the better fight scenes that we've had in Marvel movies. It didn't feel like an overbearing CGI fest because we knew going in this was going to be a cosmic movie with a ton of CGI. And so I, I liked, I, th- I feel like the black and white aspect kind of helped with that. And I'm wondering if the pandemic had anything to do with them just cutting out the color completely or just creative decisions that they made. But I feel like that one had to, that, I feel like that one was just such a cool thing to do like i remember the shadow realm fight more than i remember the gate of eternity fight a hundred percent like i think i remember more things that like happen or me being like oh that was a cool shot 
than rather when they're fighting at the gates of eternity and I'm kind of just like, okay, this is, this is totally, you know, um, to one thing, but I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. I agree. Speaking, speaking of the gate of eternity, the kids, I'm curious to, <laughs> to hear what you thought of this part, the kids getting the power. I don't know. I don't know how to describe that part. I don't know how to dissect what I feel about that part. I guess really, I just thought it was okay. I just love the bunny. The bun. <laughs> like, that was one of the parts <laughs> that I was like, okay, this is a lot for a Marvel film, but it had me laughing. But I feel like this that fight was probably where a lot of people were like, are you kidding me? Like, they really did this? I, I feel like that was probably a big turnoff for a lot of people. No, yeah, we'll talk about we'll talk about some of these things later, and then um, yeah, these are things that Bailey and I are unanimous on. So, the other thing, uh, he's here, he's there, he's everywhere. Roy Kent, uh, Brett Goldstein appears in the first post scene, post post movie credit scene, and he is playing Hercules apparently in the MCU, and. Uh, you you've never watched Ted Lasso. For me, it was really kind of shocking to see him in this, mostly because I only know him from Ted Lasso. But also at the same time, everyone's loved his character in Ted Lasso. So isn't he the guy that, that for me was super exciting? There's a uh, conspiracy theory that he's CGI'd in every scene. Yeah, exactly. That is him. That is Brett Goldstein in uh, <laughs> in Ted Lasso. I totally forgot that was a thing. I'm I'm pretty sure he was CGI'd, so yeah. Yeah, he looked he looked kind of fake, like really fake. Almost like uh they had a body double and they uh face swapped. And they plastered his face onto it. What did you think of that first post credit scene? So I, I actually do know who he is. I I haven't seen the show. I've seen the first episode of Ted Lasso and I haven't gotten into it. I need to give it another shot. Um I knew Hercules. I was very excited when they introduced uh, Zeus and Omnipotent City in the trailers. I was like, they gotta tease Hercules in some way, shape, or form. And when we went to the the place and then left Omnipotent City, I was like, okay, there's probably a post-credit scene with Hercules. And I, I was very happy about it because he's such a fun character. Um, and I'm just excited to see where they go with that. I'm not. I hope that he's in the next Thor movie. I have a theory about what they're gonna do because if Taika's in charge, yeah. Can I? I'll, I'll just dive into it real quick because we're already on the topic of Hercules. But I feel like they're gonna do something kind of like, kind of like Logan, like a parody of Logan with Thor and Love going on an adventure and Hercules trying to take revenge. I feel like it's gonna be kind of vacant. To, Something like that. So that's that's just my thoughts on that. But I, I'm just really excited that this character is finally going to be in the MCU. And I hope that they do him justice. I'm excited. I think I thought the same thing. Once we got Zeus, I thought they're going to tease Hercules. And especially when the post credit scene started, I was like, this is going to be a Hercules tease. I just was not expecting Brett Goldstein. I was expecting two different characters, but Hercules was the one that made more sense than the other one that I thought. So then let's let's move into some things. Let's move into some of the gripes that I had with some this film. Um, first off, I just felt like you kind of mentioned it. Tonally, I just didn't feel like it worked for me. 
you know, you said it kind of like feels like it's almost like you're slingshotting back and forth between, um, you know, being super emotional and having a real sad storyline and then trying to be as humorous as it can. And then almost just this gothic horror of Gore the God Butcher and which I will say I honestly wanted more of that. Like those were some of the scenes where I thought, dude, this is this is probably as close to being super dark in a Marvel movie that I've seen. I just don't I just can't recall anything like gore in a Marvel film. Like some of the some of the scenes where it's extremely dark and Bale's just putting in work, like it's hard for me to think that any other movie's gone that far. I I would say like Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness with the whole Illuminati scene was probably the closest thing we've gotten to it as far as the violence aspect. Oh with Wanda? As far as the violence and how far they were willing to go with it. But at the same time, yeah. the campiness of Doctor Strange kind of didn't, it it lightened the load. And so that's, I think that if they went full on insane with Gore, it would have been, he would have been one of the most terrifying villains. He was one of the most terrifying villains, but I think it would have just lent his character storyline way more potential. It had a lot more, but you keep going with what you're saying. Sorry. <laughs> No, like, so, you know, so now I'll move on from Gore, but I just feel like tonally it just didn't work. And the only thing I can compare it to is Jojo Rabbit, because even though that movie is not so wacky in terms of, you know, a Marvel superhero and, you know, giving all these kids the power of Thor and all these things, it's still really blended not just the horrors of, of World War II and the Holocaust, but just like so much humor, almost seamlessly. And even though that movie sometimes made you, like you could be laughing in one scene and then immediately your heart drops to the floor, I never felt like I was being pulled in an, in one direction or another. It was just, that's what, like that's what happened. And in this movie, I feel like I always had to like readjust or I was always trying to find out what they were trying to do with the scene, you know? Yeah, I feel like the moments where they could have done that and where they were trying... I, I feel like they were trying to do it in the the scene with Eternity and Thor and Jane are talking to Gore and trying to tell him, like, if you bring your daughter back, Thor will watch after them instead of him trying to kill the gods and reason with him. I feel like that was... That was what that whole entire that scene that you're referring to in Jojo Rabbit was trying to do in this movie, but because there was so much humor, it didn't lend itself to a powerful twist. Like it wasn't a gut wrenching twist of like, oh, Jane's gonna die now, and like, we, it didn't feel like we had that emotional strength. Like, it was fun to get more of Thor and Jane's backstory, but that backstory didn't lend itself to a powerful impactful death for the mighty thor so i don't know i i feel like that that's my biggest gripe is the the switching back and forth between the humor and the serious moments like they made they even made some cancer jokes that that didn't land very well with me like just the way they handled the whole cancer storyline just what didn't feel appropriate to me and i think that that's one of the things that really rubbed me the wrong way. But I still, regardless, 
I, I enjoyed most of the humor. Like, I keep having to say that to justify that I actually like this movie. <laughs> yeah, because because that's interesting because you liked this humor, and I felt like sometimes this humor wasn't just cheap, but, like, just wasn't super funny. Like, I don't know. I don't feel like Korg was so funny in the first one, and in this one I feel like sometimes he talked, and I feel like every time Korg talked in Ragnarok, I thought he was hilarious. And in this one, like every once in a while, I thought it was actually funny. But one of the examples that I think of is in the scene in the movie, they kind of do two like, oh, they're right behind me gags. And the first one is when he's talk, he's wants me all to fly back to him and Stormbreaker kind of floats in behind him. That one I thought was funny. But then there's a scene later on where he's talking to the kids and assembling them and saying, OK, here's the plan, blah, 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 blah. And he goes, they're right behind me, aren't they? He literally says this as they're, you know, 50 feet behind him. And it just, it just wasn't funny to me. So like, that's, I just, I didn't know. I didn't feel like this movie was as funny. And I just didn't feel like the punchlines or jokes landed. And honestly, one also example that I think of is Natalie Portman, especially, you know, when she's workshopping her lines to Thor, I didn't feel like that was particularly humorous. Um, I would agree with that. Like, I get that they were trying to have something funny, like have her be like this amateur hero that thinks like she has to have a punchline. Like, not every hero has to have a punchline. Yeah, most of them do. Now that I think about it, like Captain America does. I don't really remember Thor's. I know he said it in the movie, but yeah, it's 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 a stupid trope that Taika was making fun of. And it didn't, I agree, that part didn't land as well. I'm just going to list off a couple of things just to get them out of the way um, about the humor. Astrid Axel's floating head was really strange to me. Um, like, it was funny the first time, but, like, it also felt very cheap. Um, the kids fighting the end was funny to me but a little over the top at times. The weird thing about this movie is the Guardians of the Galaxy felt very serious at the beginning. I don't In comparison to yes. Thor? Like, they felt very serious and like they weren't even funny. I didn't feel like any of the Guardians were that funny. Um, besides uh, the guy who took Yondu's thing. He was funny um, with getting married on every planet. And then the whole love triangle between Thor, Mjolnir, and Stormbreaker. I felt like they took that whole conversation between Thor and Korg and Ragnarok and made a whole storyline about it. About the whole, the hammer rode you kind of thing. And there's there's the whole entire thing about that. But that was just like, that felt like one of those things where it was like, this is funny. Let's add it to the thing. It tested well with audiences, and let's just put it in there. Just because it was kind of funny to give it some time. And, you know, so far some of the things about the humor and just, like, it's almost like it's just the sequel problem. Like, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is really just like, okay, let's give you more of what you liked in Guardians of the Galaxy 1 while never really challenging you. And I feel like, especially in the humor department, that's how I felt with this movie. Like, let's give you more of the humor you got from Ragnarok, but also 
But I just, yeah, I just felt like it was they were cheaper jokes than the original one. Um, but moving on, the other thing that kind of is my is my peeve of mine, I just felt like Thor never felt like heroic to me. In the first five or ten minutes, he has a scene, you know, where Korg is telling everyone, let me tell you the story, Thor, or whatever. He, they play, you know, some Guns N' Roses, Welcome to the Jungle, and Thor really gets a super awesome, here, let me show you how powerful I am scene. But, yeah, with his splits. But then the rest of the movie, like, you never get that again. That never happens. He, like, that happens, and then the rest of the movie is almost just Thor is dumb as a rock. The rest of the movie. That's how I felt. Like, like I mean, in, like, even in Ragnarok, he never felt so dumb. I mean, yeah, he felt out of place, and he was trying to cope with some, th- with some things and dealing with his brother. And, you know, this is the first Thor movie without Loki um, in it. So maybe that's another thing, but it's just... Like in this one, I never felt, he just never felt like he was someone or a hero that I thought, yeah, he should be in charge or he should be fighting. And to me, it's almost like he took a back seat in his own film. And, you know, I don't, you know, I don't want to say that that means that like, I was even rooting for Jane Foster. Like, I think in my mind, it was, this is almost the perfect movie for Thor to exit and Jane Foster to take up the mantle. Um, but you know, spoilers, she does not make it through this film. You know, eventually she comes to, she succumbs to her cancer. And, um, I just like, so for me, it was, it was weird that, you know, she gets this spotlight, but only for this one movie in the comics, you know, in the comics, she comes back. She does die from her cancer, but she does come back. And so, I mean, the door is always open for her character to return. Um, with some movie magic revivals, but yeah, I I don't know. It would, it would be interesting to see that. Um, but I, I I think not no diss on Natalie Portman. I think she's a little old to be playing this character, and F- Chris Hemsworth is getting up there too in age, and so I, I feel like it's only, like, I feel like he only has, like, one or two more films in his belt before he just says, like, I'm done, but he, Chris Hemsworth has always also said recently that he's willing to play Thor until Marvel Studios says no more. I was surprised to see that this wasn't his last movie, and, you know, a little bit of history says that I think he was really done playing Thor in the second movie, he really didn't want to do it. He was tired of the way he had to play this character. And that's why they brought Taika on to do Thor Ragnarok. And they even changed. It seemed like they changed a lot of what they were going to do. And just kind of said, okay, Taika, you can do your thing with this movie. And that's that let Chris Hemsworth feel like, oh, okay, I, I'll, I'll do Thor for you again. What I and would... Can I, I just want to say... You finish your thought real quick. And no, I'll... please, please. Thor 5, written by the Russo brothers and Taika Waititi. Directed by Taika Waititi. And the reason I say that is because the way that the Russo brothers treated Thor, they gave him heroic moments. Like, I would say one of the best returns for a character 
in the whole MCU was when Thor showed up in Wakanda and Hulk was like, you guys are screwed now. Like, that is, like, I still get goosebumps every time I watch that scene. I talk about it a lot. I've probably beaten this like a dead horse, and I, I, I think that that's a great way to balance out, like, the humor aspect with the heroic aspect of the character. And I think that's what's missing is, like, the beginning had it really well, and if they stuck with that throughout the film, it would have been really fun. But after he goes back to Earth and finds out Mjolnir is with Jane Foster, it's like, this is a rom-com now. I don't know. It, it, it was weird. Yeah. It was a really big tonal shift. There's like so much in this movie. There's like, you know, there's a cancer story. There's a romantic comedy. There's this dark gothic horror that's Gore the God Butcher. There's a revenge tale. You know, it's, there's just like a lot going on. And somewhere in there is such a good movie. And I just feel like it didn't happen for me. And one thing that I think is, and I'm just, cause, cause like, I thought this movie was okay. And I was trying to think of, like, why wasn't this movie better? Because I'll be honest, I'm a huge Taiko Titi fan, you know? I love Hunt for the World of People. I love what we do in the shadows. I love the show, what we do in the shadows. Um, and I just think, like, recently he's given some interviews. Um, there's one where he talks about... He's not really complaining about deadlines, but he is saying, you know, when he was making films for himself he had time to do things and now it's just about meeting deadlines and i think basically he gave off the tone that he's looking forward to having that creative space again to be able to like make a movie on his own time produce it write something and then he's also just talked about how his writing process will take you know five to seven years from like inception to actually making the movie and it just leads me to think like is this an example of maybe Taika or a director being, you know, bogged down by, I have to meet this, I have to do this, and maybe not being so impassioned, but feeling, you know, somewhat rushed. And for that reason, we got this movie. Because there's, again, in there, there's a great movie. And I do trust Taika. And so I'm just trying to think of, like, why this movie turned out how it did. You know, from my perception. I wonder if this movie was Taika's middle finger to Marvel Studios for the deadline. I feel like for this movie, he just messed around a lot because he was just trying to have fun. And because you can tell he has fun when he makes movies. But I feel like he, with all the deadlines that he was being pushed for, he didn't really feel... I, I feel like he wasn't satisfied. And so he did a lot of just gags. And the footage he showed to Kevin Feige was probably just like, we got to come up with something. We got to reach this deadline for this release. You have some good stuff in here, some stuff we can't show. Let's just try to make a storyline with what you've given us. And I feel like that product is Thor Love and Thunder. Yeah. And so... One small thing I want to talk about, and first off, it's just, I don't even know if this means that Taika isn't impassioned. I'm sure that he worked hard on this movie, but I feel like maybe if he had more time, which 
you know, he's had he has plenty of time, but he also, you know, he's bouncing back and forth. He's he's big time in Hollywood now and he's got a lot of projects and he's tied up in a lot of things. So he's it's not like he just sits in his house and just only thinks about, you know, the next Thor movie. He thinks about all of these things. So maybe if, you know, this movie had more time, um, I feel like I would have liked it more. Another thing though is just going forward, I once again feel like this is a Marvel thing where I don't know what the plan is you know i feel like in through phases one through three you always knew it was tying or leading to something and now it just feels almost aimless but you because i feel like i'll still watch these things because i want to know what happens or what it's setting up but then it never sets up anything but something has happened that they might reference later or they might, you know, like, for example, um, Loki is probably the biggest Marvel show that has like that has had repercussions for a while, you, you know, because Loki is really the one that's opened the multiverse. And other than that, it just felt like everything's been its own thing and you didn't have to, you know, so and I don't know if that like, I guess my only question is. I feel like this is either for me Marvel fatigue where I'm like, okay, like let's move on. Or maybe it's just the feeling of Marvel might not have everything mapped out, but we're still getting inundated with content. Yeah. I, I like to think of the beginning of the MCU phase one. There were, when it came to phase one, there were very minimal connections that were made. Like, yes, at the very end of Iron Man, there was the credit scene with Nick Fury saying, I want to make the Avengers. Iron Man shows up in The Incredible Hulk. And and then Iron Man 2, I don't even know what that teased because I just don't remember that movie. Thor teased Captain America somehow, I think. I, I don't remember. It, that was the setup for the Avengers storyline with Loki. And everything was leading up to that. It was very small scale for what they were trying to do. Phase 4 has felt very similar to that in a way. In that there isn't as much connective tissue that we've seen in Phases 2 and 3. I feel like Phases 2 and 3, it was like, Oh, just so you know, like this character is going to show up in here and the Guardians of the Galaxy have Thanos in it. We tease Thanos in Avengers 1 and you're going to see a lot more of him. And so I think that people got so used to the idea of everything needs to connect that it's 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 I, I still understand the the gripes and complaints about it, but I think that. We got so used to it that this phase has felt very weird to us with a few standout films, but and I, I that's just my thoughts on that. No, I agree. And I think that's where it's, that's where it is for me. Like if, if it's not going to be connective, that's fine. I really don't need connective tissue, even though I just griped about it. But like, if it's not going to be connective, like just give me a stellar movie at least. Because, you know, I, I guess No Way Home, the big gimmick in that movie, because if you think about it, the whole movie is just, you know, a gimmick um, or like a nostalgia trip. It's still like 
so fun and still so good. And you know, Shang Chi, like that one is that one is also really well, and it has a little bit of a teaser that they never pick up on, I guess. But like, just as an isolated story, it's pretty darn good. But we only got that teaser a year ago. But I still feel like we would know at least something. But that's my own thing. But like, but what I'm saying is, like, it's been more missed than hit for me. Yeah. I guess in this phase. And if there's nothing stringing them along, I don't know why I need to go see every movie. You know? Yeah. Like, maybe I just need to see, okay, this movie. Like, that's the reason I went to go see Eternals. Because I felt like it was a Marvel movie and I had to go see it. And then I wasn't a fan. And then I was like, why did I go see that movie? And so I'm kind of getting a little bit of vibes from Thor for this one. But but let's do you have anything final to say before um we give out our grades, I no, guess? No, I'm just I'm excited to see Thor as a dad in the future. Like that intrigues me and makes me happy. Um just knowing that one of my favorite characters in the MCU is gonna be a father, which is really weird thinking about it and how it happened. But I'm I'm very excited to see that storyline pan out. I'm very excited to see Hercules come back into the MCU wherever he comes back. Um, I'm excited to hear all of these announcements about these characters at San Diego Comic-Con and Disney Plus Day and and the, the D23 convention in September. And these next two months... August and September are going to be really big for announcements for the MCU. So we'll we'll keep you guys covered on that. But uh, I'm just excited to see where it's going to go and hopeful that we do get more connective tissue in Phase 5. Yeah. So, Bailey, what is your final score for this movie? I'm going to give it a C+. And I'm, I'm giving it... Dang, Bailey. Sorry if that was your grade. Um, crit- critically, <laughs> no, mine's mine's C. Critically, I'm giving it a C plus. My personal score, I'd probably give it a B minus. I just, I just give it a straight C. It was like I said at the inception, it was an okay movie to me, and I just, I've just come to hope for more, I suppose, from Marvel. But yeah, um, so that should do it. For our podcast today, thank you so much for uh, listening to me and Bailey talk about why we did and did not like this movie. Let us know what you guys think. You can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Letterboxd, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, you can reach out to us through email. It is abcinema.pod at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought about the movie, your theories, your opinions on the Marvel Universe as a whole. Uh, please like and subscribe to our podcast. Leave a review. Share it with your friends. Um and we hope that everyone has a great day. We'd love to know how you guys uh, viewed Thor. And as always, keep watching movies. <laughs>